Well, good morning again. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Trailhead. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Psalms. Uh, this is our summer series, and we started a couple weeks ago. Before I get into the sermon this morning, I want to let you know about a resource that we have that we're going to make available, we are making available, and some of you may have got one of these when you walked in. This is a, a reading plan that will cover the entire book of Psalms in 60 days. So, um, just a couple things about this, why we're providing this, what exactly we're hoping you'll do with this. What we said from the outset is the, the book of Psalms is a songbook. It's Israel's songbook. It was the, the, the book of the songs that the nation of Israel used to worship God. When we approach Scripture, sometimes we approach Scripture in a very studious manner, and we, we dig in and we try to dissect and, and drill down and what's the meaning and all that. But when it comes to music and when it comes to a songbook, one of the things we can do is just listen to, or in the case of the Psalms, because we don't have the original music, to just read in the sense of just receiving. Just letting the words of the Psalms become the music that we sing in our own minds. So what we've done, or what this Psalms reading plan does, is it gives pretty big portions. Not like massive, it's going to take you an hour to read these every day. But in 60 days to go through 150 Psalms, you're not going to have time to dig in and really study, study, study each and every Psalm verse by verse. Instead, what our hope is, is that you'll just be getting the scope of immersing yourself in the music of who God is and what he's done for us. So that's why it only covers 60 days, so that you're getting a whole lot of psalms in a short time. And then what you could do after 60 days is go back and start it over again, so that every two months you're going through the entire book of psalms over and over and over, like a favorite album, to where you're hearing those songs so many times that they just seep into you and become the background music that's playing in your brain. It's not dated, it's broken down into weeks and days, but you can start any time, okay? So if you want to start tomorrow, if you want to start on June 1st, if that's meaningful because it's the beginning of the month, however you want to do it, but it's 60 days to go through the entire book of Psalms, and so that's, that's our intention and our hope that you would engage this uh, in the sense of just letting this be the soundtrack to your summer, to let the Psalms sink into your mind and, and influence how you think, how you live how you move. Today, uh, we're going to look again at Psalm 82. We started this last week, but I want to get really specific with it. Um, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Psalm 82. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback one under the pew, uh, or pew, I still say that one, so under the chair in front of you. Um, they're kind of like pews because they're connected, so we'll pretend they're pews. Uh, anyway, you can grab one of those hardback Bibles and turn to page 492. That's where Psalm 82 is. We're going to spend our time this morning focused specifically on verses 3 and 4. But before we get to that, uh, I want to just kind of remind you what we talked about last week. This whole psalm, all of Psalm 82, is an appeal to God for justice. If you weren't here last week, I, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that because it kind of sets the context for everything we're going to talk about today. So you, you really would encourage you to listen or watch that sermon. But when we look at Psalm 82, it's an appeal to God for justice. It's really hard to look at this today 
and not recognize there have been so many situations lately in our nation, in, in our world that are crying out for justice. We often start uh, our services off the top before the sermon with moments where we will pray and lament together over these big national and international tragedies. And I'm sure some of you, if you've been at Trailhead for a while, have been thinking over the last few weeks, why haven't we done that? Because there's so many things going on. And I'm just going to be honest, and it's, it's kind of a personal thing for me as, as a preacher. It's because there are so many things going on. And because I get really nervous, if, if we pray about that, well, what about, why didn't you pray about that? And if we prayed about that, well, what about this? And, and, and just saying that, and I was writing that this week as a, as a kind of a point of explanation, and just saying that just to me underlines the need for justice in our world is so overwhelming. So overwhelming. If I tried to list everything that we could honestly and correctly define as a tragedy over the past two, two and a half weeks, I would miss things. And you would miss things because there have just been so many overwhelming, heartbreaking, tragic events. So I'm not going to try to list all of them. What I want to do is read Psalm 82 in its entirety and we as a church together, as I read this, I want you to read along with me. Hear these words, and if you feel so called, offer them up in your heart as a prayer to God. Because our world cries out for justice. So I'm going to read Psalm 82. Follow along with me. Pray these words in your heart along with me. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So last week, we looked at this psalm, and we saw that the whole psalm is a personification of God's response to evil and oppression and injustice. And it's, it's, this is God speaking to the forces of injustice in the world, and as he does so, he reveals his heart for what justice should look like. And it's in verses 3 and 4, and so like I said, I want to focus on those two verses, 3 and 4, this week. So if you would, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 again. This is our passage for the morning. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The word of the Lord. As Christians, as believers, there's, there's a push and a pull that we have 
between the hope, the hope we have because of the gospel, the hope that that the psalmist talks about here in Psalm 82 when he says that the unjust will fall like any prince, that, that God will inherit all the nations, the hope that we have in the gospel that God will himself restore all the brokenness around us. At the same time, we look around us now, and even though we feel hope for the future, now we feel pain. We feel brokenness. We feel heartbreak. We see the broken and the hurting, and we hear God calling to us. In verse 3, he's calling us, give justice, maintain the rights, rescue the wicked, deliver them. These are action words. God is calling us to be involved. For those of us who believe that God is our rescuer, that Jesus is our deliverer, we have been rescued. We look at ourselves and see ourselves as weak and needy and broken. And we hear the gospel and we hear the hope that Jesus has seen us in our brokenness and rescued us. He came to us and saved us in our moment of need. For those of us who believe that, we are called to be on mission in the world. See, God doesn't extend his grace to us so that we can hoard it to ourselves. He gives us grace so that we can share that grace with others. And there's a certain extent to which we can say if we are genuinely impacted by God's grace, if we truly have understood the weight of what it means for God to show his mercy to us as sinners, we can't help but be transformed. How could we, when we see ourselves in our brokenness and our sin and our need, and we see God's love to us in spite of that, in the midst of that, how could we turn around to anyone else who's broken, anyone else who's in need, anyone else who's in sin, and say, yeah, but this grace is for me, it's not for you. We didn't deserve it, and we didn't earn it. So how can we not extend it to others? When we talk about and use the word to be on mission, that God's called us for a mission, our mission is nothing more and nothing less than our response to God's love with love towards others. But what does that look like? What does that look like? Because again, we said this last week, we think about everything that's going on in the world around us. It's so overwhelming. What do we do? How do we respond? How can we be on mission in response to God's love? So I said last week, and and this is where we want to pick up this week, for for Trailhead as a church, for, for the past several years, in part, this is not the scope, this is not the whole of our mission, But a part of our mission has looked like partnering with a group called the Restore Network. I'm going to tell you a little more as we go on this morning about what the Restore Network is. But in general, or or kind of a broad brush, we've partnered as a church with Restore Network to help recruit and support foster families in Madison County. So the goal of foster care is to provide love and support to provide God's grace and His mercy 
to children who are in times of extreme need. Kids and families who are in crisis. Children who for some reason have to be removed from their family for, for what we hope and pray is, is not an extended period of time, but can become an extended period of time. And so, so in, in that moment, in those moments of great need, foster families step in and show God's grace and his mercy to those children. If you get our, our newsletter, the, the email newsletter every week, uh, this week I shared several statistics about foster care. Uh, but there was one that I thought was really sobering, and that was the increase in children entering the foster care system just in the past six years. Look at, if you look at these numbers, this is, this is mind-blowing. In 2014, this is in Illinois alone, these are children entering the foster care system, not already in the system, but in that year, those who have gone into the foster care system. In 2014, there were 4,709. That's a staggering number on its own. In the state of Illinois, almost 5,000 children in 2014 went into foster care. In 2020, which is the most recent year we have these statistics for, that number was almost 7,500. The increase in just that short span of time. There is an ever-growing need for families to open their homes to children. There's a huge need in Illinois. There's a huge need right here in Madison County for people who have been blessed by the mercy of God to extend his mercy to children in need by opening their homes. So this morning, I, I want to help you get a picture of what this can look like and what this can mean. And so to do so, I want to invite up uh, a couple of trailheaders, Brian and Maggie Pop. So Brian and Maggie, if you would come on up here. Uh, Maggie is a member of the Restore Network Board of Directors. Brian is one of our newest elders here at Trailhead. Together, uh, they've served as foster parents. They served as foster parents for 12 years. And they're not currently foster parents, but not for lack of desire. And they'll tell a little bit about that uh, in their story. But Brian and Maggie, thank you guys for coming up and sharing with us this morning. Uh, you guys know what it means to be foster parents. You know what it means to extend God's love out to children who are in times of great need. Um, so just to start off, if you could kind of share with us a little bit, how did you feel or how did you recognize God's call to be foster parents? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll start, and then she'll probably pick up what I miss. But uh, some people talk about uh, marrying into money. You've probably heard that phrase. I married into caring about other people. So uh, when I met Maggie, we were both in college, and she was a social work student at the University of Missouri. And uh, we fell in love. We dated, got married. Um, and kind of along the way, we had talked about, you know, she had talked about an interest of, like, wanting to adopt, potentially foster, and it was always talked about as like some point in the future, you know, some, something we'll do in the future. So uh, we got married, we moved to Kansas City, um, we bought a house, and this is all probably, I guess, 15 years ago now, um, and uh, it was still kind of this future amorphous thing, right, where, hey, we might want to do this thing in the future, 
Um, and uh, whenever we talk about it, I would suggest that we pray about it, which was my form of, uh, I call it holy procrastination. Um, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Maggie started her job as a social worker for the children's division for the state of Missouri. So she started working in the foster care system and I'll let her pick it up. Um, so I, I was seeing a lot of the need for foster parents firsthand. Um, I worked in an office where we had kids spend the night on cots um, next to my desk. So um, we saw a lot of that need um, firsthand and I would obviously come home and um, share that with Brian. And um, so I guess that that kind of grew and grew in me and as a result in him, <laughs> um, just this um, desire to serve those children. Um, but like he said, it was always, well, maybe that's something we'll do when we retire. And then it was, well, maybe it's something we'll do when, our, when we have kids and they're older and grown. And then it was maybe, maybe it's something that we'll do after we have some parenting experience. And um, kind of as we thought about it more and more, there was not any reason that didn't feel really selfish for us not to foster then. At 22 and 23 years old, you know, we were... Um, just very wise and experienced. So um, we uh, then went to a passion conference, and um, one of the speakers was Francis Chan. And he told the story of Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India. Um, and she went there, and um, over the course of years, she saved all these children from brothels in India and cared for hundreds of children. Um, over the course of her life, and he said at the end of his talk, like, um, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, do you want to look back on your life and um, from your comfortable living room that's perfectly decorated? Um, do you want to um, see all the things that you've accumulated, or do you want to look back on potentially hundreds of children that you have helped, right? And um, that was kind of like, okay, okay, God. <laughs> so we left and we went home and went to work on Monday and I called and signed us up for foster care classes. <laughs> and from then on it was just like smooth sailing. <laughs> Everything was just good. How long, just, just kind of getting a sense of the story, so you went home, you signed up. How long was it from then to when you actually had a child in your home? Do you remember? Uh, probably six months. Okay. What was that like? your first experience of having you just to you, you mentioned this but just to clarify you're 22 and 23 you did not have biological children at that point so you have a foster child in your home how old was your first foster uh well we had talked about um how you know since we had never parented before that we would take one child like a you know a really young child and um then uh, they called us and told us that our license had been approved, and I hung up the phone with the woman who called us to say our license was approved, and my phone rang, like, in my hand, and I answered, and um, it was a call for two little girls, oh, wow. and um, one of them was seven, and one of them was nine months old, and, uh, and I called Brian, and I was like, you know, I know we said... <laughs> This is, a, this is not a good example, guys. <laughs> um, and so that was our, so they came that afternoon. They were replaced with us, and, um, and they were the sweetest little girls. Not that we didn't have our challenges, but yeah. um, we love them so much. 
I, I think looking back, definitely it was God's mercy because um, our first placement was one that was probably the easiest I could ever imagine in foster care. And God's like, I love you guys and I love your enthusiasm, but <laughs> let's just kind of easy end of this, maybe. <laughs> so, kind of in that vein, um, as you've gone through, so 12 years now, what have been some of the highs? What have been some of the challenges? Like, when you reflect back on what this has looked like, what stands out the most? Um, for, ch for challenges, I mean, there are significant challenges. I, um, I'm always trying to be very honest with people about what fo being a foster parent is like because, um, because it is, is the hardest thing that we've ever done. Um, I'd say one of the greatest challenges is, um, that all of the children that come to you through foster care, no matter what their background is or their situation, have experienced severe loss and severe, and in most and most times severe trauma, um, and what that does for kids is it actually rewires their brain. Um, it changes the way that they respond to things. It changes the way that they think about things. It changes their most deeply held beliefs. And so, um, you have to, so you have to parent children from trauma differently um, than you would parent. Uh, a kid who's never experienced anything like that before. And when we first started fostering, there were not a lot of resources for parenting kids with histories of trauma. Um, and it was a learning curve to say the least. Um, so I think um, one of the challenges is just, um, yeah, parenting, parenting trauma, loving kids and trying to help them to heal through that and um, and simultaneously trying to take care of your own sin responses to behaviors and all of that. We can, we can kind of get, we read a passage like Psalm 82, rescue and deliver, and, and it could be possible for somebody to get this kind of idea that I'm going to be a hero, and these kids, when these kids come, they're going to be like, oh, thank you so much, you're so wonderful, and you're saying that's not always... Right. What it's gonna, and, and maybe that it's not good to go in with this idea of I'm, I'm the savior, I'm the hero. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when it's discussed, that's that is how it's discussed. And but really, what the Bible calls us to, um, whenever we are helping the widow and the orphan, is to enter in to their suffering. That's who the Bible calls us to. And so we are not scooping children out of difficult situations and. Um, and then all of a sudden everything's okay. We are entering into their hurt and their, um, and their loss and sitting in it with them to help them heal. Yeah, and then another challenge, and this is the one that it's, I guess people know about beforehand, and it's needing to say goodbye. Um, so you invite a child into your home, and, and the point of foster care is reunification. So it's providing a safe and loving home for this child until they can go back to their family or until they can find permanency. Um, and that's, I mean, when we talk about some of the hardest things we've ever done, that's probably it. So, you know, we have this, the first uh, two daughters that we had, uh, they live with us for nine months and the baby, um, she started to walk and talk and call us mama and dada, and then they left. And, um, and 
that was our first experience of it, and it never got any easier after that. Um, but there's, I guess there's some comfort in knowing that, like, if you're loving, if it hurts that bad, then you, you love them well. And, um, but there's still, I mean, there's still pain, and it's a different kind of suffering, I think, just because it's like you're losing a child, but they're not gone. They're just somewhere else, and so um, it's kind of a unique and lonely experience, or it was for us initially at first as well. Um, but, and, and, and I guess there's also an element of, like, you don't have any control. So you don't know, you don't know when you're going to get a child. <laughs> you don't know when they're going to leave. Um, sometimes you have some warning. Sometimes you have literally hours of warning. Um, and, and sometimes it's a great situation. Sometimes they'll be adopted by family or they'll be reunified with their parents. Um, and sometimes you disagree with the decision and you think it's awful and you have to deal with it anyway. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, you know, we try to control things a lot, right? We try to, to set out our future and make sure that it's structured and make sure that we're safe. Um, and through it, we've had to learn a lot to just trust God because we can only do so much. We can't, we don't control these things. So we can only control, you know, how we love them and how we care for them when they're in our home. And this wasn't in the questions I, I'd shared with them. Here's the questions we're going to talk about. But as you're talking, I, when you've gone through those times of, of loss, when you, what have you leaned on? What have you, how has the, the, the gospel or community or how, how have you gotten through that? What has helped you in those times? Um, ooh. <laughs> um, I think, um, I mean, I, I don't think that we could have continued to foster um, without our, without Jesus. Um, I think that um, knowing that um, God loves these kids more than we ever could and that he uh, is holding them even in the hard situations um, I think that really is the only thing that um, makes you be able to say yes again you know uh, also our community was has been um, irreplaceable and just of monumental importance in us being able to foster and to heal uh, in those situations so that we can continue to serve. I'll, I'll add a little bit to that. I mean, I feel like one of the ways that, um, one of the rewards really um, in fostering was, was reaching the end of ourselves and getting to the point where we knew we couldn't do it and we couldn't survive basically going on. And, you know, when we started being, you know, young and all of the, you know, arrogance, I think, of a little bit of age 23 is like, okay, we signed up for this, so we're going to do it. Nothing against any 23-year-olds <laughs> who are here today. <laughs> You'll say the same thing about yourself, you know, 15 years from now. Um, but, uh, and God used that. God used that brashness and in, in for his glory, I think. But, um, but we kind of had this attitude of like, well, you know, we took on this responsibility. We took on this burden, so we shouldn't have to share it with anyone, right? We shouldn't have to ask for help because that would mean that we did too much. That would mean that we shouldn't have taken it on. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, you can't just stop. And so we reached this point where we had to ask for help. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we were living in Kansas City at the time. We didn't have any family in the area. So it was just reach out to our community group and our church 
um, and the way the body of Christ came around us to encourage us, uh, to support us, uh, was amazing. And it changed the entire culture of, of our community group and ultimately, I think, the church. Um, because it was like, I mean, we lived in a, you know, our church was in a pretty wealthy area. And, um, and people were kind of used to, like, they do their own thing and they, you know, take care of their own business. Um, and so the act of kind of needing to help people really changed that culture. Um, but we had people, when we had, at one point we had five kids, five and under, <laughs> um, and our oldest had, uh, was in cancer treatment. Um, and, uh, and we had, like, there was a, a lady from our church that would come by on Monday afternoons and pick up all of our laundry for the week and return it on Tuesday folded and cleaned. Um, there were people that brought us meals, um, just very practical helps like that, in, in addition to the encouragement that we received and the prayer that we received. But that was a, just a beautiful aspect of it, for sure. So I mentioned, we mentioned that you aren't currently fostering, but that's not because you've decided that's it's not a, a good thing anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about what your family currently looks like and kind of how how you got to the, where you are right now? Yeah, we um, have seven kids, and um, our uh, our um, we have three that are adopted from foster care. Um, over the years, we have I don't know we can never figure out how many kids we fostered uh, twenty nine or thirty or something like that. Um, and our three kids who are with us are um, the only three that didn't end up going somewhere else. So, um, so we have three that are adopted through foster care and four by birth. And um, they won't let us have any more kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, actually, they probably would, but we ran out of space. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I mean, we at this point, um, we sometimes we say like we're done adding and now we're multiplying. We're got to get other people to. Um, take the kids that we can't that we can't take in because you you are still passionate about foster care and about calling other families to open up their homes as well we talked about challenges what are what are the blessings why why would anybody knowing all those challenges knowing how messy it is why would anybody want to open up their home to foster care um I think one of the one of the biggest blessings um, in fostering is that you do. I mean, you see healing and you see growth and you see um, beauty come out of these ashes. Um, we have we had a daughter who, for four solid years, gave us an emotional stiff arm. Like there was, she would not be happy in front of us, um, and then. Uh, just of her own volition came and told us that she loved us. Um, we've had a 15-month-old placed with us who weighed 12 pounds and wasn't rolling over and wasn't eating solid food and made literally no sounds. Um, and by the time that he left us, he was walking and talking and ate literally anything you handed him. And um, what we were like celebrating whenever he like dumped all the Cheerios out on the floor. We're like, yes, developmentally appropriate. <laughs> um, 
but we got to see him learn all of those things. And actually, um, today is his 14th birthday, um, but we haven't seen him in 12 years. So, um, but we got to see all of that. And, um, and also, um, we have a daughter who came to live with us um, when she was 16, and it was, um, it was a hard road, <laughs> really hard. Um, but she's 21 now, 20, she just turned 22, um, and today is actually also um, our first grandbaby. <laughs> um, it's her first birthday, yeah. so those are the rewards, and um, that's the beauty. She was worried about me crying, so. Yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, we've talked about it. It's it's messy, but there is beauty in it, and you get to see that some. And but ultimately, I think like, if God is if God is calling you to do something, then being in His will is it's where you need to be. And um, and we've seen Him, and we've seen Him in all these different ways provide for us, um, and bless us not by ease and prosperity, but by uh, reminders that his he's with us and that his hand is there um and i mean i think that's probably the richest part of it um is that you know and by grace you know him giving us the grace to to say yes to it and then giving us the encouragement and the grace through many different avenues you know over the years um is probably the biggest blessing of it so one of the things you talked about was the need for support and how just absolutely essential that was. So when we talk about the Restore Network, can you kind of give us a little bit of a picture of how the Restore Network supports foster families and why that's just so important for, for families? Yeah, so when we first started fostering, there was no Restore Network where we lived or here. Um, and, and like I said, and like Brian talked about, we got so much support from our church, um, but we were really kind of on our own as far as um, finding any kind of um, information on parenting kids who had experienced trauma um, and all of those kinds of things. And uh, I think one of the most beautiful things that Restore Network does is it does provide um, training. It provides so much in-depth training on how to parent these kids well so that you can help them to heal. Um, which is literally changing the face of foster care in Illinois. I mean, changing um, disruption rates, changing um, outcomes of cases, all kinds of things. Um, so they do that. Um, Dis uh, sorry, disruption rates is the number of times kids That move a child from. has to move. And um, in Illinois, the average child moves at least four times in their time in foster care. Um, but that's not true in the counties anymore in the counties that Restore Network works in. Um, also, they provide um, meals. So when, when you have a child placed with you, then they um, set up a meal train for you. Um, if whenever you have a child placed with you, often you have very little notice um, or even they come in the middle of the night and Restore Network has one of their volunteers go out and shop for you for that specific age for clothes or for bottles or for um, shoes or whatever that child might need um, in the first few days at your house, um, which is a huge help. 
they um, have prayer, they have support groups, and um, so all of those are ways that they support foster families, which is huge, um, and those are all also really great volunteer opportunities for people to get involved with Restore. You specifically lead training. Can you explain a little bit about your specific training that, that the two of you lead? Yeah. Um, so since there were no resources whenever Brian and I started fostering, um, a few years into fostering, um, we found an organization called Empowered to Connect, and they train um, people to train foster parents in um, how to parent kids from trauma. So Brian and I have been training. We've been ETC trainers for seven or eight years. Um, and uh, so we have classes where um, groups of foster and adoptive parents come and we spend nine weeks talking about what it looks like, what trauma looks like in a kid, what how um, our own histories impact um, how our interactions with our children and, um, and how to best deal with some of the behaviors that you see in, in your home whenever you're fostering. So when we talk about foster care, there's maybe a temptation, especially as, as a church, to there's a need. There's definitely a need for more foster parents. But God's not necessarily calling every single person to, to open up their home. But he's probably calling some. So one of the things Restore has is what's called a 101 workshop. And we're going to be hosting one of those here at Trailhead on June 13th. Can you explain a little bit about what the 101 workshop is and why people might want to attend? Yeah, 101, uh, I mean, it's the 101 is like the, the introductory class, right? Um, and so it's an informational session. It's not like if you come to it, you have to become a foster parent. Um, but it's a great place to come if you're feeling God tugging on your heart um, because they will help you understand what it is, like what the licensing process looks like, what it looks like to... Um, invite a child into your home. Um, there, it's a great place to ask questions of people that are super knowledgeable um, about uh, foster care as well. So it's an it's a, it's a wonderful first step. Like again, we didn't have something like that when we started. It was just like reach out to basically DCFS directly and say you want to become a foster parent. Um, so it's a it's a great uh, it's a fantastic way to learn more um, if you're considering it or if you feel like God's tugging on your heart. Right, so open floor, last comments, anything you want to share with us about foster care? I don't know. I think I would just say um, God used Brian and I when we were 22 and 23 years old and had never parented a child before. Um, that's, I mean, that's saying something, okay? <laughs> like, God really used nothing, okay? <laughs> um, so... If I mean, absolutely pray about fostering. Um, like you said, not everyone is called to foster, um, and that different people are called to different things. But um, but if you do feel um, like God is calling you in some way to foster or to support foster parents, um, like seriously, if we can do it, then anybody can do it. <laughs> Well, Brian and Maggie, I, I want to say thank you guys. Thank you for joining us this morning. But um, really, we're, we're just thankful that you've had hearts open to, to follow what God's called you to. We're so glad God's called you to Trailhead. 
Uh, you've been a part of really helping shape our culture to care about foster care. Not that Brian and Maggie are not the only foster parents at Trailhead. We have a lot, but you guys have definitely had a huge role in shaping that culture. And so we are very thankful for you guys, and I hope you guys will thank them for joining us up here on stage this morning. Thank you, guys. Now, obviously, like we said, not everybody is called to open their home to a child in the foster system, but all of us, all of us, are called to respond to God's love for us. We're all, if you have received God's mercy and his grace, he calls you to respond to that mercy with mercy. He calls you to respond to his grace with grace. So the question I would like for you to ask yourself is how are you doing that? How are you responding to God's love? How are you responding to his mercy? This is a specific, this is one specific need. Not everybody is called to this, but many of you may be. There's a need for more families to open their homes. So it's not a decision to make flippantly. I mean, I think Brian and Maggie made that really clear. Don't, I'm not at all saying that the goal this morning is not, we've got a sheet to sign up. Everybody, as you leave, sign up to, to be a foster parent. We want you to think about this. We want you to pray about this. We would really like to invite you to join us on June 13th. It'll be here at the church um, on June 13th at the 101 workshop. Lots of time to ask questions, to learn more, to really unpack what this might look like for you and your family. How are you responding to God's love for you? If you truly believe that Jesus, out of no effort or, or, or worth of your own, but solely out of his love and his grace for you, gave his entire life to save you. How are you responding to that love? Let's pray. We're going to go ahead and pray and move right into communion today. So if you would, join me in prayer, and then we're going to share communion together. Heavenly Father God, we are so thankful for your love to us. We are so blessed to receive your mercy. God, when I look at my own life and my own heart and see the absolute lack of any reason why you should love me, and then I look at the cross, and I see the extremes that you went to to love me. I'm overwhelmed. As much as I'm overwhelmed by the hurt and the brokenness and the injustice in the world around me, I'm overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy that you've shown me. God, my prayer today is that each of us would look at our own lives, not turn away from or try to avoid the hurt and the pain that surrounds us, but out of your love for us that we would move into the pain, move into the hurt, move into the messes to share your love and to share your grace and to share your mercy. In Jesus' name.